Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. Welcome back to another edition of Cover It Glory, Brett. I would say it is a special edition, but I like to think that they're all special. And let's be honest, this one is not exactly special. This is a vacation edition of Cover It Glory. We are two episodes away, one of Cover It Glory, one of Trendy, to finally getting a week off. And I, for one, am certainly looking forward to it. I desperately need it. So uh, just like when you're sitting at school and it's the last day and it's 2.59 and that clock just needs to tick <laughs> four minutes and you get to leave for summer vacation. A little bit how I feel about today's show. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just more happy for our listeners who are probably sick of us going through uh, all football season, all soccer season. They might need a, a week break from us. Uh, for me, you know, you know me. I'll just be sitting and staring at my spreadsheets doing a podcast by myself. You know, talking about Bournemouth's uh, 11th best player to no one in particular, just mumbling on a street corner to somebody. So you'll you'll be off and enjoying vacation. And I'll just be like, hey, do you want to talk about what Tyler Adams can do for Bournemouth's defense? And then that, well, then when I get, get a restraining order from that random stranger, I'll let you know how my week is after that. Well, if that random stranger calls you a jackass who's wasting his time, it wouldn't be that much different than my role in this show. <laughs> it's true, especially after my whole slate of Europa League picks, which uh, I'm one for one in right now. I haven't checked some of the ending of the rest of them, but right, we'll see well, how those wrap up on Trendy. Yeah, we'll look at the rest of them. We'll be back tomorrow on Trendy to talk about those. But in the meantime, Brett, we do have some exciting footy to talk about because we have a cup final this weekend involving my very own beloved Chelsea. So we are going to dive into that game pretty early in the show. But before we do, uh, you sent over a question, what is my favorite cup final? And then you were going to chime in as well. Like we are diametrically opposed to this because I have really easy, simple answers. It is 2012 and 2001 Champions League because my team lifted the big ears and won the biggest prize possibly available. So of course those would be my answer. But you, as a fake Everton fan and, and also a fake Brighton fan, you don't have to. You don't get to experience those joys in your lifetime. You don't get to see them go win Champions Leagues and get eternal glory. So I'll turn the question back to you, since. My answer is so obvious. What, from a more neutral standpoint, are your favorite memories of cup finals? Well, I think there's just one. One will always stand out to me, and that is the 2013 Wigan FA Cup win. Uh, We're talking about that. Yeah, well, well, it was such an incredible, like, uh, a culmination of events that was going on there. So you were getting City just at the start of their rise to prominence where the money was coming in, the players were coming in. And then they were going against this Wigan team that would eventually get relegated. I think it was like four days later. So Wigan go go ahead. They win the FA Cup final. They win that match one nil. And then and then this is where the actual fun part comes. The the match itself, I remember watching it. I don't. Other than you know Wigan scoring and the celebration of this big underdog was about to win. Uh, I don't remember too much about the match itself, but I do remember immediately after the match going. Wait a second. 
Wigan could get relegated, but then they qualify for Europa and they become, I think they're the only English side in history to ever get relegated and win a cup final and then play in a European competition while in the second division of a a league. So Wigan the next year from the championship also had to play a Europa League schedule. Roberto Martinez then went to Everton and got them to qualify for Europa the following season, which was kind of a culmination of David Moyes leaving to go to United. And then he had like Moyes' defensive principles. And then that all out weird attacking style that Wigan had that got them relegated. And they all molded together with Rom before he, as you so politely put it, ate himself into a different stratosphere of player. Um, so it was such a weird time, I think, in soccer. Like they they beat these giant cities, the city, they get relegated. Their manager who gets a team relegated gets a better job uh somehow, then takes that team to Europe again. And it was just such a weird stretch of time for me. I like that final always stands out in my mind, on top of the fact that it was really a David being Goliath beating Goliath, which you know, we we needed to appreciate that probably more. Because we just then had to watch City run through the Premier League and win multiple titles over the couple of years. We, we had to really, really enjoy that cup final and Leicester winning the title in 2015. This is a perfect microcosm for uh, this show and your life. Like you just rattled off so much stuff about tactics, so much stuff about like, you know, club futures and Europa and, and your uh, qualification and like all these other things. And you don't remember a single thing from the game. You didn't mention a single I the goal. Of the game. You, I remember the goal. You cover you watch and cover soccer like just on a computer screen with spreadsheets and like timelines. Come on, man. You can't say your favorite cup final ever and say, I don't really remember what happened. Well, the only thing I can say I can remember from it wasn't even a cup final. The thing that will always be burned into my memory from the FA Cup is Sylvan Distin turning around. Passing backwards to nobody and setting up a Liverpool goal in the semifinals that year. I think after that, every emotional aspect of me being involved in a soccer match died. And it just didn't allow me to connect to anything ever again. Because I just remember just curling up on my couch being like, it's a bitter rival. It's an FA Cup semifinal. And we're going to lose this match because he just turned around and passed to nobody. Tim Howard was like standing in the mouth of the goal being like, what are you doing? So I, I think ever since then, my ability to connect emotionally to soccer matches was gone. And so I just don't remember some of the certain plays, but I do remember the big moments. You got to give me some credit. I do remember big moments. I do appreciate every Jal Cancelo outside of the foot pass I do remember these things. Yeah. I mean, everybody appreciates great art, Brett. Like you're not alone in that one, but like way to go. You once again, have your finger on the pulse of the mainstream. I cannot exit my house without someone approaching me and wanting to talk about the winging league cup game from a decade ago. So nailed it yet again. Uh, hopefully we'll have some good memories from the cup final this weekend because there are two mega brands involved and that is Chelsea and Liverpool. The cup final game is Sunday morning at 10 a.m. live from Wembley. 
And the odds over at Caesars are currently Liverpool plus 110, Chelsea plus 220, the draw plus 250. As a reminder, even though it is a cup final, those are 90-minute lines. So however it ends in regulation time, that is when those bets will be scored. If you want to just go a little bit uh, more traditional and say who's going to win or lose, to lift the trophy, Liverpool is minus 189, Chelsea is plus 138. On the adjusted on the 90-minute line, Liverpool minus half a goal is plus 120, and Chelsea is minus 150 to either force extra time or win it outright. So, Brett, this uh, we're talking cup memories. This is a replay of the final two years ago, which is probably the wildest nil-nil game I ever witnessed in my entire life. Like, how both of those teams failed to score in that fairly open affair with all of those chances is, like, you know, kind of burned into my brain. So how do you see this replay? Play happening two years later uh i think chelsea has basically virtually a whole new a whole new team from that match um it is it's really funny because i was thinking about going back to that match and being like well what happened in that one and then realizing that it probably wasn't relevant because there are going to be probably maybe zero chelsea players that played in that match that are going to play in this one um so i to me the the amazing thing is i want to take a, a little bit of an aside here Liverpool is absolutely wrecked by injuries right now. Jota just got announced. Oh, cry me a freaking river, Liverpool. I pulled up the injury because this is everything everybody's talking about is the Liverpool injury crisis. Oh, poor Liverpool. Club stewards being ruined by unfair injuries everywhere. I pulled up the list. Their list is the same as Chelsea's. They have the same number of injuries. And it's all happened more recent than the players we have been missing the entire freaking season shut up liverpool <laughs> except for the one the one difference would be the trade-off in the quality of players is reese james is, it, is an absolutely gigantic miss for chelsea right now um i mean the, again that would be a whole other side of of where his injury crisis and then the resulting run in form of when he actually is healthy is done to chelsea as a club i kind of feel like we would be having a completely different conversation in the universe where reese james has been healthy the entire time the last couple of years here um, but I mean, Liverpool are missing some big pieces and they went down early to Luton town. I actually was like, okay, this is where we're going to start seeing the injuries catch up to them. And then they just turned around and absolutely smashed Luton town. Now Luton town is not Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea is a much better club than Luton town. Chelsea has been Thank playing a lot better, um, with Ben Chilwell back as well. And actually having actual fullbacks is a big deal for Chelsea, um, as you, as much to your delight. So I'm actually thinking that this game is going to be a lot tighter uh, than most people would think. I mean, the lines sort of do reflect that. Um, but I'm very curious to see Chelsea. Chelsea's season is this cup at this point. Very unlikely that they sneak into a top six spot. And this is probably going to be the thing that they can hang their hat on this year to walk away with something to hold their heads high. So I do think the motivation is 100% directly on their side because Liverpool is just going to try to get through the injury crisis and win the league title. Like they're, they're going to be focused on the premier league. They are still on the, in the top spot there. So I struggled with, with handicapping this one because it felt like I was having, you know, two competing things. Liverpool has the better talent. Chelsea has the, the bigger motivation. And so basically I just sort of, Flipped a coin and was like, I think Liverpool's talent is going to win out at plus 110. So I took them on the money line. But Toby, you got to tell me where you're coming from looking at this Chelsea season because you followed blow for blow. 
Where are you at with how this team is going to respond in this cup final? Well, first of all, I reject the notion that they're out of the top six because I don't know if you've seen Newcastle, West Ham, and Brighton, but they're not exactly like <laughs> lighting the world on fire right Very now. Very true. So, like Chelsea's like two good weeks from being knocking on the door to six, and then it's just them, United, and Tottenham. Um, and Tottenham's probably clear on points. They're probably not enough to make up that ground, but Chelsea versus United uh, certainly can. And Aston Villa is – potentially could just like crap the bed all the way to the end of the year. So I have not given up on the regular season. Like we ain't winning the league, but I'm not saying we're going to be 10th at the end of the year. I think we will finish ahead of our current position. Um, in terms of this individual game and how they will approach it, I think it's interesting that you led with the Liverpool talent, or I'm sorry, Liverpool injury crisis with their big names. And then you automatically assume that they're going to have the most talent on the field. Like you could say they've had the most production this year, but I'm not going to concede they have the most talent when they don't have Jota. They might not have Nunez. They might not have Salah. They're not going to have Allison. They don't have TAA. They might not have uh, Sobosly. Like, are those their five best players? Or they might uh, be yeah. missing all of them. Uh, so well, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, the only thing is, is that it's been impressive to see what they can roll out. I mean, we kind of forgot that Harvey Elliott is like a young up and coming player. The Bradley kid they have right back seems legit, which could be amazing if they have another homegrown, like all world right back producer in Liverpool all of a sudden. I mean, this is, it's been interesting to see them navigate this because I keep waiting for the bottom to fall out but they keep bringing up a young player or uncovering someone like Elliot, who has been kind of on the sidelines most of this year that it's come in. And then they had a big contribution. I think Elliot had both a goal and assist uh, in the Luton town win as well, playing in Mo Salah's spot. So it's been interesting to see them navigate this and kind of be reminded that they, they've built some depth and they're hitting on some young guys at a, at a perfect time for them to maintain their pace in the title race. Sure, but Malagusto just pocketed Doku last week, put on one of the most impressive right-back performances of the entire season, and we're going to talk about Connor Bradley because he's done it once? Like, where's the love for the 20-year-old Malagusto whose only sin is playing more than one game well? I Like, I, I'm just not buying this. I'm not buying this, like, Liverpool's automatically the more talented squad. Yes, they have won more games this year. Yes, they are league contenders. But with the injuries that they are currently facing, I think Chelsea's going to put out the more talented 11, and they have the better motivation, and I think they're going to win this freaking game. And so, like, you, you call me on Monday morning and say that I'm a homer and say that I went too far with this take. And, like, maybe, like, the, they're um, they're playing chicken, right? Like, maybe Sobosly, Salah, Nunez are all out there. I'm pretty sure Allison and TAA aren't going to be there. But maybe those guys all – and Jota definitely won't be there. Maybe those guys all do go. But I'm under the assumption that they're going to be less than 100%, which not only means that their starting 11 is diminished, it means their subs are not going to be anywhere near the quality of the Chelsea bench. And the last – time we watched this matchup Liverpool destroyed Chelsea four to one and it wasn't even that close but they did it with all of that talent on the field and also this incredibly high energy style that caused those guys to go balls to the wall for the first 40 minutes to try to decapitate the Blues and if they do that in this game and, they, and the Blues like sustain it or even keep it within one goal they don't have any subs to call on and those guys are going to be spent and they have the league to worry about so are they actually going to do that? Are they actually going to sacrifice these, the only healthy players they have and have them go all out on Sunday and then try to recover for the league? Or are they going to, you know, kind of 
dial it back a little bit. And they dial it back and they don't destroy Chelsea with that energetic style they did last two. Chelsea has the better quality. And so, like, I'm going to take Chelsea to lift the trophy at plus 138 because I can absolutely see this being nil-nil or 1-1 and it going to penalties. And guess what? If it goes to penalties, there's no Allison. And if also, if they do play the high-pressing style, there's no Allison back there to stonewall the one-on-ones on the counter that he, he does so successfully well, perhaps better than anyone in the world. So I like the Blues a lot in this game. I don't think it's their entire season, but I do think that they uh, that uh, the odds at them being so heavily underdogged in this game are out of whack with what we will see on the pitch pending the starting lineups. Yeah, and I mean, look, listen, these are this is the exact conversation I basically had with myself. <laughs> so I, like I said, this one was a, a very hard one for me to handicap because I, I think partially just watching them come back against Luton town where my expectations were here they go they're going to drop up some points here and then they were able to claw their way back and win that match um I I like I said I can see your logic winning out this was one of the hardest games for me to handicap probably all season and wolves have caused me fits and every time that they play a one of the top six teams that we cover and I think this one probably took the cake because I can see that outcome. I mean, honestly, listening to you go through it and the the logic and the rhetoric that, that you're using here and just the points that you're making are would almost push me off of where I want to change my bet <laughs> again. Because I, I I looked at the Chelsea to raise the trophy with the plus odds, and I was like, that's that's good value for this. Like this could this is good value for this play. Um, so ultimately, I think I might be it might be a little recency bias having watched the Luton town match and, and kind of having some things going on in my brain with the expectations there and the Liverpool team that was put out coming through for them in that moment. Um, I could easily see you coming Monday being able to, to shove this one in my face. But as of now, sticking with the Liverpool money, money line, there is no second guess express for me. The thing I will say is I do think this is going to be a, a fun frenetic back and forth match. So the one I, I really like was Liverpool to win and over 1.5 goals has got you all the way up to plus 150. Because I do think that we are not going to see a redux of that nil-nil match. I do think that the goals are going to go in this time. And I think this is going to be a really fun match. And I do think that even bets on the over are good. There's a lot of value there. Because I think 3-2, 4-3 are scores in the range of outcomes for this match. I'm so happy we are exactly opposite on this game. My prop pick is the under 2.5 at plus 120, and I'm more than happy to take that. Given Chelsea's cup final history, they over and over again in cup finals pull forward defensively, uh, shut it down a little bit, and then look to counter much more than they do against like the Luton Towns of the world. So they play 1-0, 1-1, 0-0 cup finals over and over and over again, no matter who the player and no matter who the coach is, and particularly in a giant stadium like Wembley on a giant stage with all the young players that's going to be involved on both teams through injury for Liverpool and through roster signings for Chelsea. I expect them to be a little tighter in the very beginning. Um, And look, Chelsea actually looked organized defensively finally against Manchester City. Desaisi and uh, Colwell were an excellent center back pairing. Maybe, maybe we won't see that. Maybe we'll see Silva back in, you know, captaining in his last big moment as the blue. And maybe then I I will play the over. But assuming that we're going to roll out a very similar lineup that we saw against City, I do like that under. And I also like Chilwell to score 
uh, coming down the left at plus 1,400. That number is way too high given the Liverpool frailties out on that side, and I'm not buying all the Connor uh, Bradley hype, and I think they're going to be vulnerable, and that number is also too high. I love the fact that you're picking a defender to score. I just want to, if I could hug you through this Zoom call right now, I would do it. You've finally done it. You picked a defender to score, although it is Ben Chilwell, which yeah. is not necessarily, he plays like an attacker, especially with Gusto kind of being the defensive anchor on the other side. But I just am very, I, I, I can get behind the one bet that you finally picked a goal scorer that's, that's over 10 to one odds. So I love that. There you go. All right, well, uh, we'll see who was right. We'll see who was wrong. Either way, I will be enjoying that game on Sunday because at the end of the day, it's the League Cup. It's not even the FA Cup. It's not the Premier League. It's not the Champions League. It's like, okay, if we lose, I'm going to be o- I'm going to be over it one minute after the game is over. If we win, I'll act like it was the biggest competition in the world. So it's kind <laughs> of a, a great thing. Although there was a really interesting article, really last tangent, then we need to get to the Premier League. Uh, go read The Athletic if you haven't seen this yet. There is a fascinating article about whether Chelsea can even afford to win this match. So it's another reason I'll be okay with either outcome because if they win, we lift a trophy and that's always fun. That has some sort of redemption for this season. If we lose, we avoid apparently financial ruin because if we win this matchup, then we're then subject to the UEFA um uh, the UEFA financial rules, which are more stringent than the Premier League, which might actually make us sell some players just to play the Confederations Cup next year, which I have no interest in whatsoever. So the whole thing is crazy. Soccer is crazy. And it's why we enjoy it and watch it every weekend. Yeah, I mean, listen, you just brought up some some things that are going to be attached to this cup final, just like my wig and memories. Just saying it all comes around, Toby. All right. Well, I will remember one thing that happens on the pitch on Sunday. That is a Toby <laughs> Merkler guarantee. All right, let's go ahead and hear from Caesars and then come back with uh, Premier League action before a very special edition of, of Study Abroad, which we will get to at the end. You know, when the conversation turns tampers, I always go with my number one as Caesars. Let's talk about them a little bit, shall we? Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns rewards credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using this code. Listen up, Omaha Full. The word Omaha and the word full. And then you place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. If you keep those winnings, but if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and over only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. New users and first $10 plus wager only. Must register with eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager. Returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet, $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start gambling problem. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit 
www.gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or West Virginia, 1-800-GAMBLER.net, New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right, Brett, we are back, and we are going to cover three Premier League games before we do our special uh, study abroad. I guess it's a video podcast. People can't see me doing the air quotes, but it's going to be a fun <laughs> one at the end here. So let's start with Manchester United versus Fulham. Manchester United is sixth with 44 points. Fulham is 12th with 29 points. This game is Saturday at 10 a.m. Caesars has United at minus 190, Fulham at plus 475. The draw at plus 340. United minus a goal and a half is plus 135. Fulham, to keep it close, is minus 180. So United's an interesting case, Brett. We've talked about fading them pretty heavily in the past, but now they've won five in a row. Their star boy striker, Hoyland, is finally getting going a little bit, having scored in six consecutive games. They're running hot on finishing and XG, but sometimes you just have to say, so what? Like, we looked at all the numbers, we looked at all the reasons to fade them, and they are definitely costing us money if you follow that course of action right now. On the other side of the pitch, Fulham has struggled mightily, mightily, Brett, against the top half of the table in the Premier League this year. They lost to Aston Villa, Newcastle, Chelsea, Liverpool. They shockingly beat Arsenal on New Year's Eve 2-1 to one, and then lost to Newcastle, Liverpool, Aston Villa, United on the, uh, the comeback game in this in 0-1, Tottenham, Chelsea, City, and then drew Arsenal 2-2. Two to two. So besides Arsenal, they have lost every single game against the rest of the league that is reputable. 
So when I'm handicapping this, you look at United to find the underlying metrics, continuing to get wins, a Fulham team that has ultimately struggled against top tier opposition. And then you have it at minus 190. And so like, I can't take the adjusted. That is where I will concede that United is running a little too hot. But on the actual, what bet would you take? United at minus 190 is the only option on the menu I like. Yeah, uh, we're actually in the same place in this match. And the reason, even though last week I pointed out that United it just makes me want to go full Jesse Pinkman and just scream they can't keep getting away with this. Um, the the I actually don't have just one reason why I couldn't get behind Fulham. I have 1,479 reasons. And that is the number of minutes a 35-year-old Willian has played for Fulham this season, Toby. Love he it. has played almost 1,500 minutes for a Premier League team at age 35. He should be in our final game preview. He should be playing for the LA Galaxy or something right now. But yet here he is playing for a team in the, <laughs> the top league in the world. Um, I just, I couldn't get behind Fulham. Their numbers, I mean, I don't know. I'll just go ahead and say it. I just think Fulham suck. <laughs> like they're, they're not very good. They cheated their numbers last year. They're cheating them a little bit this year. There's not a lot of top-end talent there. I think Anthony Robinson, you can make a case, is maybe their best player, um, which, you know, great for the USMNT, yeah. not great for Fulham. Um, so this one I begrudgingly would just swallow the money line. And then the way that I, I guess I sort of hedge a little bit against United being United is the United to win in both the score at plus 160. They have been a defensive sieve. The thing that has been saving them, they had almost three expected goals worth of chances against Luton Town, has been the attack, has been players like Hoylund coming on a little bit here in the, in the stretch. So I I mean, McTominay as a super sub is also another reason that this plays into the fact that I know they're Strike going the to Premier score. League. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> striking the Premier League. Um, yeah, so I, I'm very certain that United is going to score in this match, which means Fulham just needs to somehow get one against one of the leakiest defenses in the Premier League top 10 right now. So at plus 160, I feel like I'm getting enough juice to take that one. Ratcliffe planning off-season overhaul was the headline that I saw right before we recorded this show. I saw that one too. It's great. The team that you think is a lock for six is looking to sell players at a rapid rate. Love it. Uh, one guy they're probably not going to sell, though, is the aforementioned Hoyland. Uh, and I have him to score first in this match at plus 400. So taking a little bit of your Cole Palmer play and using it against you. Uh, he has scored in his last six games. And most interestingly, Brett, he's doing it early and he's doing it often. In those six games, five of them came in the first half. And since I don't like the form that Rashford at all are on right now, and McTominay probably won't be on the field to bang in his uh, brace in the first half, then it just stands to reason if Hoyland is going to score and he's going to score in the first half, then I like him to do it first. And rather than take him at plus 110 in the anytime, I'd rather get him at plus 400 on the first goal scorer line. Yeah, I mean, I think the only things you got to really worry about ducking is Garnacho had like eight shots in their last game, which is nuts. Um, and then uh, Bru- ducking is also what people are doing in the sixth row when Garnacho shoots. Yes, 100%. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying you're getting four to one to basically duck a golazo from him or Bruno getting a penalty at this point. And I think that's really good money to take that as a first goal scorer. I like that a lot. Yeah. 
I'd like to actually see them hand Hoyland the ball, even on a penalty. I mean, it'll probably be Bruno. He certainly earned it. But, like, this guy who struggled for form and struggled for confidence in his first four months of the Premier League, like, they want to pile on as many goals into his plate as possible. So he probably wouldn't take the first one. But if it was uh, – so it doesn't work for the first goal scorer. But if they're up 2-0 or 3-0 and they draw a penalty, they should hand that guy the ball. They need to get him to, like, 15 goals on the season so he's entering next season with all these new teammates brimming with confidence. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing about Hoyland too is is he is only 21. I mean, he I think he we we skipped a big part of his development. He came right from not playing a lot for Atalanta as a teenager to coming into one of the biggest pressure cookers in world football. And it did, I'm sure the pressure got to him a little bit. And he has been much better of late. He's not even running that hot over the season. I think he has seven goals compared to six and a half expected. Um, so he's basically right on performance and he's only 21. Like he has not entered his soccer prime yet. So, you know, he could be on the verge of becoming the player they thought they were getting. It just, I think he he did skip. He needed maybe like one more season to actually play a ton of minutes. And so why that's probably why we're getting the late rise from him this year. Yeah, it's a great point. And I hope that he rises early and fires one of the goal and catches yeah. my 400. Uh, second game on our slate is going to be Bournemouth versus Manchester City. This game is Saturday at 12.30 p.m., Bournemouth is 13th in the league right now at 28th. Manchester City eked out that victory midweek in their game in hand. So they are now sitting second at 56 points, four points behind Liverpool, one point up on Arsenal. In this game, Manchester City is minus 250 over at Caesars. Bournemouth is plus 650. The draw is plus 380. Manchester City minus a goal and a half is plus 105. And Bournemouth is minus 135. So that game, uh, I'm going to skip the midweek game because the real headline was that match against Chelsea. Excellent game of football. They were absolutely relentless as they came after Chelsea in the second half. It reminded me a little bit like with what are now happy memories, but it were very uh, damaging memories at the time of that Barcelona second leg in 2012 when Terry took the early red card and they just have to un under uh, Chelsea has had to like take an onslaught in the box for like 45, 50 consecutive minutes of cross after cross after cross and dribble after dribble after dribble. That's what city looked like in that second half of that game. Finally, they get the goal to get the well-earned draw. Um, but like at the end of it, City was the be way better team than Chelsea. I was happy to see Chelsea be defensively stout, but like they had, uh, they had substitutions that were not exactly progressive. They tried to hold on; they couldn't do it. And do you really want to bet on Erling Haaland to have that many off days to come up with zero goals? When what was it like one point seven xG or something crazy like that? So I, I. I think on the whole city should feel better than worse about that Chelsea performance. I think they came out and they won their game in the midweek. I think they will continue to roll. Um, and I think they're going to win the league personally. So in order for them to win the league, they have to win matches like this one against Bournemouth. And I will even take them on the adjusted up to plus one Oh five. Yeah. Uh, we're in the same place as this match as well. And my logic more comes from the other side of their opponent is Bournemouth has improved. And we talked about this with Savarni when we were doing our all-star league game. He's played a bunch more minutes throughout the course of the year, but kind of like 10 to, I think it was 10, 12 matches into the season. They just like flicked a switch where they all of a sudden were looking like an elite defensive team. And the, the skeptical part of my brain was like, 
well, maybe it's Iriola's ideas are setting in. There's something going on there. Maybe it's the quality of the opponents because it wasn't player driven. There wasn't a, a player that just like came into the lineup and you're like, oh, he's playing. And then that's made him better defensively. And so we've started to see them tail off a little bit, which now kind of more like makes more sense in my brain is that we were just getting a team that just kind of was going through an elevated stretch of play and producing these numbers. I, it doesn't mean they're going back to bad Bournemouth of last season, um, but I just don't think that they were all of a sudden like a top eight defensive club like they were performing as. And so this makes me getting plus money in the city adjusted line pretty happy to take that and run to the bank um, because I think you're kind of getting a city team that's going to be trending upward with the return of, you know, KDB getting fully integrated versus a Bournemouth team that you're kind of maybe getting on the downswing of a little bit of a hot streak. Um, and I think because of that, I think that city is going to be able to put, put in some goals. I didn't like the, the team totals have been looking at those a lot more over the past uh, couple of weeks. Uh, I didn't like the juice you were getting on those. So one of the ways that I kind of looked at City taking advantage and getting some value from uh, City taking advantage of maybe Bournemouth sliding a bit defensively is by taking one of the more random bets I think I've ever found. And that is a Rodri shot on target from outside, specifically from outside of the box is plus 225. But here's the thing about Rodri. He pretty much exclusively shoots an open play from outside of the box. That's his thing is to get one laid off to him and then crack one from about 25 yards away. And it just has to land on target. And this is also a match where City's going to dominate possession. They're going to have a ton of the ball. And I think that because Rodri is up to almost two and a half shots per match in the Premier League is at 2.28. Um, he could he could potentially get three or four shots up in this match. Now, granted, some of those might come as headers from set pieces, which would be inside the box, but you are going to maybe get a chance at one or two from open play. And his XG per shot is 0 0.06. The league average is about 0.1. So though that those numbers are telling you that he doesn't take a lot of high-quality shots. He is not breaking into the box as like a third-man run and slotting home with a little curl around the goalie. He is just running on Michael Essien style trying to start Golazos, and I just need him to put it in between the pipes. That's all I need to do. I get two to one on that in a game where we're probably going to see City maybe get up to about 20 plus shots. Well, I was going to crap all over your point, but then you compared him to the Buffalo, and now I, I have to agree with it. Anytime Essien is brought up, it brings a <laughs> smile to my face. Um, I, and I think this is just like a little bit of like numbers versus observation because your numbers are clearly correct. But, like, observationally, I picture Rodri more, like, picking up the ping-pong ball that's going around off a corner or off of a packed box and then, like, firing in from, like, not outside the box but the top edge because I've seen him score two or three goals that way this year that were super memorable. By the way, I saw a lot of discussion this week in the soccer community when Rodri was – was it actually Pep? who said he's the best midfielder in the world right now. I mean, somebody said that. I, I think it was Pepper. It might have been another coach. What do you think about that? Do you think Rodri is the world's best midfielder at the moment? Uh, there's a ton of people that are doing some really cool modeling stuff with like the on and off ball actions that have Rodri. I don't know if he's necessarily number one, but he's definitely among the top five impactful players in the world. Um, so that to me makes a ton of sense. Like, we always jump in soccer to quantify value in terms of goal contributions, or maybe with goalkeepers in terms of goal preventions, 
Um, and what Rodri does a lot is play the ball into players in areas that then put them in advantageous positions. Um, and we that is really hard unless you are a nuanced soccer-loving person to be like, oh, man, look at that Rodri switch of play. That's incredible. And now Doku's in this one-on-one. Like it's hard to put a number on that because it doesn't go in the back of the net. We can't just say one goal, one assist. Like, but he does a ton of that. Like, if you watch Rodri, if, if you're kind of a novice soccer fan you're, or you're just starting and you just started listening to us, just watch how he controls the game like a metronome and switches play and plays balls with one touch that get guys able to drive into the box or get them one-on-one against a defender in space. He does it all the time and then you factor in the the uh the stuff that he does in terms of his um set piece contributions he's a great header of the ball he scores a few goals every every year on on set pieces and he's a capable of the occasional strike from the you know, thunder bastard from outside the box so i don't think it's that big of a deal i i have thought we and you had him in your all-star team he was your first pick i think um oh, as your most impactful player like I think most people that have really followed and watched and loved the sport and can pick out those intricacies would not be shocked by that because he is phenomenal. And and he, for me, is one of the most beautiful things about watching City play is just the absolute grace in which he contro- he controls the tempo of the match. Yeah, I think the, hard, the, the best case for Rodri is also the hardest one to appreciate, which is with Rodri in the lineup, I think they're undisputably the best team in the entire world. Without him in the lineup, they can be beat by almost anybody in the Premier League on any given night on like a cold night in Stoke. And so the most valuable guy in the world, the best midfielder in the world, well, it's his absence that proves it as much as his presence. And so it's easy to watch like Messi or KDB or Ronaldo or whoever you want to throw out there as like these incredible guys. You can watch them on the field and see that skill. But like you don't notice it as much when they're gone compared to a Rodri who that is the way he best demonstrates his value. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a perfect way to put it. So hopefully also perfect is my prop pick for this game. Um, You went with an unusual one. I'm going with one I like quite a bit that's a little bit outside the box. I'm going with City's first goal being at the 31st minute and over. That is how it's listed at Caesars. So they will score that for the first time after the 30th minute. And that is a plus number that is plus 110. It's hitting four of the last five and goals have been coming a bit later as they're running into super compact defenses over and over again, even like a billion dollar team like Chelsea kind of played like they were not enforced or, or Burnley against them. They kind of packed it in. And so it takes a little while to pick that lock and get them going. And so they've been scoring a lot in first half extra time as well. So like, if you want to go with the first goal being the second half, that's plus two forty because of that extra time I'm a little scared of I dialed it back took they will score for the first time after the 30th minute at that plus number yeah I mean I mean the Brentford game was a perfect example too of how a feisty team can hold them off for a while but eventually City breaks you down so um I like that I mean especially ever since Pep has leaned into this slow mo ball they it seems like those games that we used to see in maybe like 2018 when Aguero was still leading the line where it's like they would be up five nil within the first 30 minutes is That isn't this team anymore. Um, I mean, they're capable of it, but it just hasn't been what we've seen over the last couple of years. So I really like that bet. All right. Well, let's see if we can give out some other ones you like in Arsenal versus Newcastle. Uh, This game is Saturday at 3 p.m. Arsenal, of course, as previously mentioned, is third in the league right now. They have 55 points. 
Newcastle continues their slide. They are eighth at 37 points. Arsenal is minus 280. Newcastle is plus 700. The draw is plus 400. Caesars has Arsenal on the adjusted line, which is embarrassing for Newcastle, at minus 115. At one and a half, Newcastle is minus 115 to at least keep it close. And Brett, uh, I'm sorry for the crude analogy, but Newcastle has just been completely, completely ruined for me by that Liverpool game where they gave up seven points plus XG, and I cannot look at them the same way again. It's like finding out your super mild-mannered friend enjoys getting peed on during sex. You just cannot think about them the same way before and after. Meanwhile, Arsenal is banging in goals for fun right now, while also still being one of the top defensive teams in the world. The Champions League loss midweek was a bit of a blip, but Porto is likely more informed than Newcastle right now, so it's not going to deter me from taking the Gunners in this match. My only question was whether to adjust it up or not, and, and Newcastle's porous defensive form made me decide to go ahead and grab that minus 115 number on the adjusted rather than the minus 280 on the money line. Yeah, I don't know what to think of this match for Arsenal because before the Porto match, we'd watched them basically dog walk about four or five teams in a row in the Premier League. And then they went to a pretty, as we pointed out in the last episode, to a Porto team that's seen this very slow talent drain. And they look like crap against them. Like that's the, that's the bottom line. They lost the, the fact that they lost and that deflected shot was a little bit unlucky, but they couldn't create anything. Uh, never really looked like they were remotely threatening. I think they had about a half goals uh, worth of chances by expected goal uh, calculations. So, I mean, this was a really bad match against a Porto team. Like if Isak played for Porto, he would be Porto's best attacker by far and wide. It wouldn't even be close. Um, Isak's so, a good attacker, though. I mean, Isak would be the best attacker on Chelsea as well. Well, but uh, but my point is, is that Newcastle has the talent that Porto doesn't, and so yeah. I'm trying to like figure out how to compute what we just saw Arsenal do in the tougher, toughest league in the world to going up against Porto and just looking pathetic and out of answers. And then on top of that, the other thing that worries me about Arsenal is Arteta subbed one player. He put Jorginho on for Trissard. That was the only sub that he had the entire match. So yeah. he just used a ton. They just used a ton of energy without any subs even coming on to, to relieve some players minutes in this last match. So I think because of Newcastle's form, I kind of begrudgingly went to the adjusted line, but the bet I think I did to hedge this in my own mind that I do really like is Newcastle to win either half at plus 250 because I think you can make a logic argument that they could do that, whether it's Arsenal start slow because they just poured a ton of energy with no subs into this match against Porto, or that the energy that they poured into the match against Porto catches up with them in the second half in which Newcastle ends up winning one of the two halves. And you get it at plus 250, so you're getting it at two and a half to one. I can't think of a way that there isn't a world where two and a half times out of, uh, that Newcastle doesn't come ahead uh, in at least one half, given what Arsenal's coming off of. Yeah. And those games have been like scary open, which just increases variance, right? If there's more yeah. goals, there's more chances that they can land on the right side of the number in one half. Um, 
I was between two bets and I went back and forth. One was Arsenal over two and a half goals, the team side at plus 110. And one was just playing the over three and a half at plus 120. And so you start thinking about the scenarios. And I ended up going with Arsenal over two and a half goals at the plus 110 because I feel a lot better about Arsenal winning three nil than I do about like having to hit the over by uh, Newcastle having two goals themselves. And so like if Arsenal, if it's, if the over hits because Arsenal covers it, well, they also covered my over the two and a half. And so I would need two, two to be the only scenario where the over hits, but Arsenal does it or Newcastle like blows them out. And mm-hmm. so like given that analysis that Arsenal doesn't win the match and, or um, it's a two, two draw. I like the over total for Arsenal uh, getting at least three goals more than I like the over game of four goals. Yeah, I mean, the the one thing that I think has been righted a little bit is Newcastle's attack has gotten a little bit more to what we saw them earlier in the season, but Newcastle's defending has not been fixed. And I don't think it's going to be fixed, especially because one of the reasons that I, I think I remember this is when uh, Trippier was over at Spurs, there used to be like the heat maps were like the big thing on soccer tactics Twitter showing like the attacking uh, impetus that was going on in Trippier's area of the field. You know, he didn't last at Atletico probably because Simeone was like, this dude can't defend even as a wingback. Um, so I'm assuming that part of this is like Trippier's old. He's not a good defender. They lost Joel Linton, who was kind of turned into like their bruiser midfielder following guy. Um, and so I think between those two things, I don't really see a scenario in which this Newcastle defense gets fixed. So anything involving Arsenal goals, I do think is a great bet. Yeah. All right. Well, we will find out night. Now we do have to take our second break to give our sponsors some love. But after that, two Yankees are going to go abroad in America. What's happening here, Brett? We'll find out right after this. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, Brett, we have covered a lot of leagues on this show in our Going Abroad segment, but for the very first time, we are going to come all the way back around the globe and land at home. The MLS kicked off last night for their season this year. They, of course, do not follow the uh, global soccer calendar. They play starting in uh, right around this time and go into the fall 
ostensibly to avoid the big bad NFL. I mean, there's no real other great reason for them to do it other than that. So they are the one league, uh, major league in the world starting right now. And let's talk about them. And we're going to do it through the premier game of the weekend, which is the LA Galaxy versus Inter-Miami. I'm not going to give out the table since Inter-Miami is the only team that played. They did win. So I guess they are first with three points. Uh, this game is Sunday at 8.30 p.m. on Apple, where you can find all MLS games. The Galaxy are plus 150. Inter is plus 155. The draw is plus 270. Galaxy minus half a goal is plus 140. Inter is minus 190. So, Brett, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about the tactics of this individual game, if you so choose to. And then I want to talk a little bit about the MLS in general. I think one reason that makes this game interesting beyond the fact that Lionel Messi is going to be playing on it on American soil on a Sunday night in prime time is like this is a little bit of like uh, – like different timelines for the same thing. So the LA Galaxy are Inter Miami like 20 years ago or 25 years ago because they're the team that signed David Beckham. And they've been the team historically that has had the most stars signed for them throughout this period of MLS where they bring over guys that are, you know, not washed, but like on their way to being washed, but are still massive global brand names as a way to raise the profile of the league. And so it has been LA Galaxy for a very long time. And now, of course, it's Inter Miami with Suarez and Messi and Busquets and uh, Alba and everybody else. And so like this is a little bit of like um, not not the two Spider-Men pointing at each other, but if you had like a baby Spider-Man and an old man Spider-Man pointing at each other, that's kind of what this game is. How do you see it break down on the field? And then let's talk about where MLS is in general. Uh, I mean, I think it's it's sort of a cheap way to be like, this all starts with Messi, but it, I really think it does. Um, you know, before Messi moved to Inter-Miami, there were plenty of good arguments that he was one of the top players in the world still. Um, oh, yeah. now he's moving to a league that is about the equivalent of, uh, league one in England, probably. I can't remember. I think there were like 30, some low thirties in the world rankings for leagues. Um, so, I mean, you're getting a player that could be starring for most champions league teams that is now playing MLS. Um, and so I think every, every bet for inter Miami, you could go through tactics, but everything starts and stops with Messi. Um, you know, and, and even I was kind of looking at this too. And I was like, you know, it's Messi and his washed friends. When you look at some of the left backs that are being rolled out in terms of the premier league or the champions league, Jordi Alba at 32 could definitely still be playing in the champions league. I thought Suarez was washed when he was at national national two years ago. Uh, but then he went to Brazil and scored 17 goals in their top league. And then Barcelona's defense has fallen off a cliff without Busquets. Now, would a 35-year-old Busquets have maybe slowed that some? It, that's up in the air. But there are some signs that are telling you that all these guys are still plenty capable of competing, uh, competing at really competitive leagues in the world. And they're going to one of the least competitive leagues in the world. <laughs> um, so at least in terms of overall soccer quality. I mean, the MLS, obviously, there's not huge stretches where you have Sheffield United on one side and you have, you know, Manchester City on the other. But so for me, anytime you're getting plus money for Inter-Miami to win, you have to bet Messi unless he is just going to take the night off. And this is just a retirement little loop for him. 
I he's still one of the best players in the world, and he's playing in MLS. Like he had an assist and four shots in the la- in their first match. Um, I mean, they did get outshot. I think the defense is going to be a problem for Inter Miami as they go through this season. Um, but I don't think the attack is going to be. So I took Inter Miami on the money line, and then I am gonna I can confidently bet the Inter of over one point five team goals at minus one fifteen because I do think a lot of their matches are going to have both teams involved scoring. So for them to win, they got to get the two. Yep. Uh, so let's just get this out of the way so we can actually talk about the MLS and people that are here solely for gambling advice can go ahead and, and go on their, their nice way. Um, I'm doing the same thing and like for the same reasons. This is like my brain can't accept a plus number for a guy who's still one of the best guys in the entire world. Like, you know, you talked earlier about uh, if Isak was playing for Porto, where would he rank in terms of, of their attackers? Like Messi would be the best player on all but – a dozen or less teams in the world. And it, it might be half a dozen. Like he mm-hmm. would still be the best player on any one of those teams that he's going out here. So if you ask me to handicap any game in the MLS this year that he's involved in, and I think he's going to play, I'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take him no matter what the number is. It's like, okay, so LeBron James, uh, he went straight from high school to the, the pros. NCAA redoes their eligibility. It's like, God, I always wanted to play in college. And so LeBron's going to check himself in against Dayton tonight. I'm taking whatever team has LeBron. <laughs> whatever team has LeBron against Dayton, I'm taking LeBron, right? And like, that's what we are looking at right here. So give me Inter at plus 155. And similarly, like, these games in the MLS are wild, dude. I mean, it's not full Bundesliga, but they're not exactly like Italian defenses that are being rolled out right there right now. So Inter Miami to win and both teams to score is plus 300 all day. I get to bet on Messi and I get to bet on goals. And uh, for whatever it's worth, the Galaxy, both teams scored in their last nine games and last season. It's not like they have all new players or tactics. Like this is actually my favorite bet of the entire show. So give me that one absolutely right away. It's going to be in my five pine as well. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be an interesting year with that. I mean, the, the one thing I will say about Inter Miami and the Messi and friends group is that they actually have sort of an interesting combination. Like if they just brought like a bunch of Messi's attacking pals or a bunch of Messi's defensive pals or a bunch of Messi's midfield pals, it'd be interesting, but they kind of have it where they have their creative fullback on the left side. They have their poacher in the box and Suarez. They have their guy that can control and dictate possession in Busquets. And then they have Messi, who in his later years has been one of the best ball progressors and you know passers in the final third. So the way that the talent is also going to come together for Inter, I think is going to be really successful for their offense because they don't really have a weakness in one specific area of the pitch. All right, well, let's talk about whether the league at the MLS is going to always be in the 30s or where you think this thing ends up. And so, like, I have a lot of thoughts on the MLS and we've never been able to share them on the show, and I'm not going to keep people here for an extra half hour. We did the game first in case you did want to depart from this conversation. But you obviously are very dismissive of the MLS. You're saying it's as good as League One in England because of your spreadsheets and all those sorts of things uh, that you see. Overall, like, give me your impression of the MLS from not just the quality of soccer, but from its place in the United States sports and place in the world soccer community. Uh, I mean, I think uh, the thing that I've enjoyed is it's become a very community driven thing. Like you look at Seattle and Portland and the way that those cities treat their teams. um, That's a really cool aspect. You know, it kind of does remind you of those lower division clubs 
in England with the way the towns kind of rally around their teams like that. Um, I think my sticking point with MLS isn't going to even really so much with the league itself. It's going to be how the system is probably going to handicap it a little bit. So the way that, you know, U.S. soccer operates is that they've Americanized it where there's a salary cap and there's no promotion and relegation and it's really hard for them to get academies. And so, and, and the, the big problem that's been discussed across the national team perspective is the pay to play issue that goes on with us soccer and how that doesn't get some of the best athletes into the pipeline. Now, where I think someone like Messi helps is I don't think he's going to do anything where people are like, Oh man, Messi's playing in MLS. Like I'm going to go play in, in the American soccer league because Messi's there. That's not going to happen. I think his effect is going to be something that we'll see ripple down in five to 10 years where there's going to be more eyeballs on him. More kids are going to be attracted to maybe watching him when he comes to their hometown, when they're on ESPN late, you might get a more, more kids that are excited to get into soccer and then that'll help the country as a whole improve. But that's really where the MLS's improvement comes is they need to have a more robust base of better domestic players. And right now, MLS is very reliant on Central and South America to bring players in. There's a lot of Canadian players as well. There's not a huge, and we see it with the national team pool too. Most of the best U.S. players are not coming from MLS. You get your Paul Areolas that everybody's looking to replace every once in a while, but the best guys are still playing overseas. The back end of benches are even filled with guys like Chris Richards, who's playing at Crystal Palace, players like that. You know, Ricardo Pepe, who was supposed to be our savior, and now he's over at Eindhoven. Um, we need to to make sure that the somehow the grassroots thing that feeds in the MLS Academy academies gets better. So our domestic player base gets better. That is what will make the league as a whole improve. It's not going to just come from the top down where a guy like Messi comes and all of a sudden the league is just going to blow up and be more competitive because everybody wants to come play in the league Messi's in. It's got to be built through the infrastructure. Yeah, I agree that the players aren't naturally going to come because Messi came. I mean, that's not, I think what's going to happen here. I think Messi's uh, presence has a very important galvanizing effect because of time slots, right? Like the calendar, the, the calendar that they're playing on February to the end of the year uh, has both massive cons, but a couple of pros, a couple of pros is avoiding the NFL. You suddenly um, have, you know, let far less competition in primetime television slots. And so like come this summer, come like June uh, or whatever it might be. And my choice is like the 78th regular season Detroit Tigers game or watching Lionel <laughs> Messi play soccer. I'm going to watch Lionel Messi play soccer. Like that, yeah. that is something that's going to happen. And so I think that is a big advantage of the calendar, but because of the calendar, they are going to have a very hard time filling the league with quality players who want to like play for their national team and want to be on a more um, a more common time frame, right? Because like having these guys play through the summers and massive conflicts with with the calendar, and so like I think at some point the league has to actually decide what they want to be. If they aren't going to, if they're going to do it this way and try to grow the way they're doing it, that's one thing, and I think it has a a, a chance at success, right? But if they want to be a top 
10 team in the, in the world or a league in the world, a top five league in the world, they have to start looking like an international operation. And for no other reason, I, I can think about this myself. I am self-conscious of my accent this moment as you hear these words coming out of my mouth because there's nothing the international soccer hates community hates more is Americans coming in and telling them how to run this sport. And so like, like you guys are doing this wrong from America could not be a bigger turnoff from the global audience that you ultimately need in order to be successful at the level that is, could be successful uh, because, you know, like they have major things going for them. We've seen this in basketball. We've seen this in baseball. We see this. Uh, I don't want to get political, but like in the number of immigrants that come to this country that come here, like America is a desirable place for people to settle from around the globe to live and raise their families. It is just, it's a fact. It is a very desirable place from international places for, to come and settle for uh, whatever stability that it offers. The economics are massive here, right? Like I was just talking to someone who wanted to go see Taylor Swift and they ran the math, smart people, they ran the math and it was wildly cheaper for them to fly and take a lavish vacation to Buenos Aires to go see Taylor Swift than to go see Taylor Swift in America. It's because like the economics are so different. Like a Taylor Swift ticket there can't cost $10,000. Like they just, that can't, the economics won't support it. So the, the, the ticket for each of them was like 120 bucks or 150 bucks. And then, you know, they had their airfare and the hotels and all that versus paying five grand to scalpers because that's what things cost here because of the economics. So because of those economics, you take a team like LAFC and the LA Galaxy that are both worth approximately a billion dollars, despite like being, I don't know, the 200th best team, the 300th best team in the world in terms of quality because of that economic engine. Like that cannot be ignored. Uh, talked about the time slot for domestic audience and also like the youth interest, right? Like you were hitting on this a little bit with Messi. Um, you know, the, the next generation here in America does care about this sport. A lot of it has to do with the premier league being so well covered by NBC and other places like that television contract that came in the early 2010s was absolutely revolutionary for soccer in America. You can go back to the world cup in 94. Like you can talk about these huge events, but like, I, I am confident that if I was to start taking straw polls among like the sub, let's call them 15 year olds, there is far more interest in professional soccer, maybe not the MLS, but professional soccer than major league baseball. I am wildly confident without any scientific proof to back me up that I would win that bet if, if a scientific study was done. And so as that generation grows, as it grows in purchasing power, as they carry their, you know, uh, traditions and, and drive into the economy. Like, I just think that it can drive domestic soccer uh, at a pretty wild clip because like the truth is the best thing that they have going for them, Brett, is the live experience. They need to make that live experience as electric and incredible as possible because the live experience for major sports in America is largely on the decline. Like it is not as much fun to go to a baseball game now as it was 30 years ago. It's definitely not as much fun to go to an NFL game because you're missing everything that's happening throughout the rest of the league. The NBA, I mean, you can make arguments on one side or the other, but it now costs so freaking much to go. And they have a DJ blasting it uh, in your ear the entire time. 
The one sport that I would say like continues either on the ascent or at least like meeting where it's always been is college football. Like college sports is still a phenomenal live experience. And so if the other ones are not going to be as good, this is where soccer in America, in the MLS could really step in to fill that void, which is if I could get tickets to go to anything right now, yes, it might be cooler to go. Let's talk regular season. Let's, Let's throw the playoffs out. Yes, it is probably cooler to go to like an NFL game and like be part of like the national pastime that it's become. But the actual experience is better at a DC United game. I'm not getting sewage dumped on me. I'm not getting charged $200 for parking. I'm not watching the worst goddamn team in the entire league on the pitch, although I don't know how good United is going to be this year. But like the drums in the crowd, the passion, the chants, the singing, like that all needs to be as great as possible for this league to continue to grow and to continue to make its mark in America. And the last thing they have going for them, which is why I definitely will not bet them, is they have Apple as a partner. They have Apple as a partner globally and domestically. And that is a company that I would be more than happy to be aligned with in terms of how they're ultimately going to win in the business sense of this thing. So as long as they continue to invest in the live, as long as they align with Apple and have them driving their their um, their product forward, and as long as they take these other tailwinds, eventually they have to inter- introduce the international calendar and they have to seriously look at relegation. And at that point, I think the MLS could be like right behind league one league one in France and be like the sixth best league in the world. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the big part is going to be American owners have designed their sports to make sure that they make money. And in other areas of the world, it is not uh, soccer teams do not operate that way. And the part of the reason yeah. the MLS doesn't have promotion and relegation is because it protects American owners from their franchise valuation, taking a massive hit. Part of the it's reason the they have reason. a salary. It's the account. only reason. Yeah, the only and, reason they don't have it is that reason. exactly, and then part of the reason they have a salary cap is they don't want owners to have to have the or some teams to put pressure on other owners to pay whatever it takes to become like a Saudi Arabia s thing where they're trying to lure in their prime players to MLS because they can pay them wages that are competitive to everywhere every other league in the world. So there are uh, some huge mechanisms in place that are going to probably be problematic in terms of the MLS rise. But if those get changed, whether from outside pressure, whether from global partnerships or whatever, then all bets are off. And I think the the sky is the limit for the American soccer product. Let's say you borrowed a couple hundred million bucks and you put it on a defender to score. And suddenly you were a multi-billionaire, <laughs> which is your best path to actually uh, achieving that. Would you rather... And let's say your goal is to buy a professional sports franchise that you give to your grandkids one day. Rank the leagues in America you would want to have that purchase. To give to my grandkids? I yeah, mean, it's not something you want to flip in the next five years. Like, this is like a 50 year investment. Well, I mean, just soccer because of the fact. I mean, I think that to me, that's a no brainer. I mean, the NBA, the player empowerment era, I think is going to create some interesting things. I mean, I've had some NBA guys talk about, you know, the contracts for Jalen Brown and Bradley Beal and basically jokingly saying, yeah, you know, now they sign a player and they're part owners of the team. Uh, the NFL, I'm, it's going to be America's popular, most popular sport for a while, but the declining interest in youth because of the, the injuries and the concussions, the string that we've seen of players leaving early because they realize the damage they're doing to their bodies. I'm curious to see what that does to the product. And I am generally hopeful and optimistic that the rise in youth participation in soccer stays the same. So if I was going to be 
you know, sort of a betting man in my personal enjoyment of what I'd want to do, I would invest in a soccer franchise. So I think you're wrong. Uh, I think that's kind of like saying Real Madrid basketball is a better investment than Real Real Madrid, the football club. Like, uh, I think that football will be king even in the next 50 years. So I think you would ultimately, the first would be an NFL franchise. Uh, NBA is an interesting one because NBA kind of has the premier league for the world right now. We get a and like even more than the Premier League, the Super Premier League, because we get all the best players from around the globe playing in a single league. Um, and so like the globalization and the concentration of that, I think is super powerful, even with the player empowerment era and with the contracts and all that. So I think that would be second. But I think the MLS is third. I do think the MLS is third. I think owning an I'm not talking about the Dodgers. I think I would rather own an average MLS team than an average baseball team. And I would certainly rather own an average MLS team than an average NHL team if we're looking at that time horizon. So while uh, right now it would clearly be below those four sports and hell, you could probably talk me into some other ones that it would be below, but I think over the course of that time, it will be the third uh, best league to own a team in, in this country. No argument here. I thought it would be the most fun to own. So, yeah, <laughs> but I guess I was looking more for personal enjoyment than I was as far as getting a return valuation on my investment. But I, I do hear you. I think it's interesting. I am very curious to see how the messy era impacts fan engagement and fan level. That is probably going to be my number one thing more than anything on the pitch. But uh, I'm just curious to see where American soccer goes. We're in a very interesting time. We're going to have a good generation for the next World Cup. It's going to be in America. We have the premier talent over the last you know, 15, 20 years playing in the league right now. It is a very interesting time for American soccer. Yeah. All right. Well, exciting times because I need to watch Messi over that Tigers game. So I'm, su- I'm happy that the MLS has games, one that I can attend uh, here in D.C., but two that I could watch rather than watching other sports during the summer. So like, I actually, I want them to change the calendar for the future of it, but for my current enjoyment, it's great to have that games at eight o'clock, which by the way is why the Copa America this summer is going to be absolutely incredible. Like world-class soccer in prime and uh, in, in prime hours to watch sports is going to be one of the best events that's being slept on right now. But that is a whole nother show altogether. And we've kind of already done two shows and I've been staring at the clocks. It's the open and I want to go on vacation. So the five pint, Brett, uh, we have a one last week in February to settle this. It is 12.8 to 12.9 right now. We are in a virtual dead heat. Uh, we got one more set to settle it. Here are the five I'm going with. I'm going with City, first goal, 31st minute and over, plus 110. Inter-Miami money line, plus 155. I'm going for the jugular with Inter-Miami win, both score at plus 300. Chelsea to lift the trophy, hell yeah, plus 138. And Chelsea-Liverpool <laughs> under two and a half at plus 120. All plus yeah. numbers this week. Uh, I, I can't even, uh, match one. I have my, cause my first one is going to be the inter over of team, uh, 1.5 team goals at minus 115. Uh, I am going to take the Liverpool money line for one pint as well. That's for them to just win in uh, regular time. Uh, I am going to take the, my two bets here from city, uh, city at minus 1.5 at plus 105, the Rodri shot on target from outside the box at plus 225. And then I am going to take United to win and both to score at plus 160. And I cannot wait until Fulham blanks them 1-0 because I stopped fading United. And this is the week they finally come through and Jesse Pinkman gets his wish. 
Amen, brother. All right. Well, I uh, hope that you spend your week off doing something besides talking to people on street corners or calling you a jackass and staring at spreadsheets. Uh, I will be just kind of relaxing and recharging and ready to do this again in two weeks. So we will not be back next week with our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by an expert analysis. We will see you in March. Take care, everyone.